Voyage. For most of my life, I've carried a secret. Something that plagued me from my childhood. It brought me no end of shame and distress. What was it that tormented me so? I was a stutterer. I'm Hal Holbrook. I um, wanted to uh, do this podcast because I felt like that uh, my story would be one that could actually benefit someone who was having, struggling with uh, some things in life, in their lives. And um, I, this is a, a problem I, and I have, a problem that I have. I've kept it a secret most, most of my life. It's something I, I struggle with all through school, even through college. And it's not until after college that I really came to terms with the problem and was able to, um, you might say, overcome it. It just became something that happened after my brother was born. I was nine years old. As an only child for nine years, my brother was born. And then just, I guess, maybe some other things were going on in our family. I started developing this speech problem in school. And it started probably back uh, when I was a fifth grader. I'm thinking fourth, fifth grader in school when I would be called on to read aloud or to speak. And that's when I would hesitate and block and, um, you know, feel like I was trapped and, and, uh, you know, not being able to get words out. The anticipation of being called upon to speak or read aloud would cause unbearable tension. I'd break out in cold sweats, had rapid heartbeats and shallow breathing, and the feeling I was about to explode. Because of that, 20 years of my life were spent avoiding speaking situations. I honed a skill of avoidance and careful silence. As a result, I had low self-esteem and no speaking confidence. This carried over to other areas of my life, feeling ashamed, unfit or a misfit, defective, dumb, all sorts of negative thoughts, all because I couldn't speak in public. Okay, kids, settle down. We're going to do some reading. Who wants to start? Anyone? How about you, Hal? No, thanks. Hal, it wasn't a request. Now, open your book to chapter two and read the poem there. How doth the little crocodile? How Hal? How someone else? Come to the front, please. Hal, what's the problem? Nothing. Are you having trouble reading? Do you need glasses? I can read. I just don't w- want to. N- not in front of them. Hal, you'll have a tough time achieving anything in this life if you don't face your fears. But they'll laugh. Of course they won't. Now, go back to your seat and complete the reading. How doth the 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 the. How? How get back here? Why, stuttering 
all throughout school, my school days in the classroom, a lot of times I would be called, and like everyone else, we call them to read aloud or to answer a question or something being given, given a chance to, to actually speak. Uh, that would be something very difficult for me. And how I approach that difficulty would be anticipating the speaking situation and break out in cold sweats and have a rapid heartbeat, especially if see, the teacher was going down the road and having everybody read a passage or do something like that or answer verbally. By the time it got to me, I would just want to run out of the classroom. Or sometimes I would actually get up and walk out or, or put my head down on, you know, on my desk. Like I was, was, wasn't feeling well or something like that. If, if I did speak or have to talk and there was blockage or there was stuttering, then uh, I could hear snickering in the classroom. And actually I could be teased, you know, in recess. But, you know, I was pretty big, a big guy. And, and so, you know, I didn't take very much of that. I didn't get a whole lot of it, but it didn't take a very lot to make me feel like I was less of a person. I would spend a lot of time figuring out how to to avoid situations, speaking situations, and to hide from from that. I remember as a kid, just the word hello to answer the phone, that would be something that was very hard to do. And my parents sometimes were not at home. I, it would ring. I wouldn't even answer the phone. I was referred to a speech therapist and saw a speech therapist once a week in grade school and high school. That experience was interesting because I thought, okay, I'm different. Uh, I get out of class and get to go see someone for a half hour a week in a small room and talk about my speech. And I thought, well, this is going to be something that would be helpful. I'll be able to be cured. You know, I can used to go for a few sessions. I didn't think sessions. I mean, I just thought I could go, I, I could go see this person and, uh, and, you know, I could come out and, and uh, not have hesitations and, and stutter, stuttering moments. But it, it, it prolonged being all the way through grade school, like I said, high school, even into college. And I discovered there's, there's actually no cure for, for stuttering. The therapy continued through high school. I remember being asked questions about my feelings on the way I spoke. And then there were drills. Most of them focused on reducing the severity of stuttering moments by concentrating on the softening of initial sounds, consonants in particular. For example, in a stuttering movement trying to say the word butter, it may come out b b b b butter. The drill was to relax the tightening of the lips that come together to make this first sound of b then repeating this several times, starting with saying buh four times, then three, two, one, and down to just butter. Then say the word butter again a couple of more times with no repetitions of buh. The drills demonstrated how to get past the blockages of stuttering moments, but I was still stuttering. Looking back at all this speech therapy, the most significant thing for me was the questions and discussion of my thoughts and feelings about my stammering. When I went to high school, 
I remember as uh, we went to a grade school, it was like first through eighth, and then you know, in one school, in a small school, and then we went to a bigger high school, it's starting in ninth grade. I remember going, first going to that school and thinking about going to different classes. This would be a time where you go from a, a single classroom to, you know, changing classes about every 50 minutes or every hour. And, uh, and to me, it was somewhat overwhelming just thinking about it just magnifies the chances that I would be called on to speak or have, having to read aloud. It was a very stressful time. And of course, stress can bring on more stuttering. I just remember finding ways to hide. And this is, this is common for, for stutterers. They, they feel, or they find ways to get out of speaking. They, they, they develop a pretty good vocabulary and learning a lot of syn synonyms. If you have a particular word or sound that's difficult to say, uh, then, uh, you know, and it's appropriate in a conversation, you may, in your mind, run into you know, three or four different syn synonyms like to s say instead of the stuttering word. And all stutterers have, they have um, certain words and sounds that really give them problems. I know I had, I had son. Back to high school, my friends, and you know, I was I was an athlete, like I said before, I was pretty good size, so, uh, and had been in kids sports, you know, like uh, we had baseball and foot races, but, you know, but in high school we had football, basketball, baseball, on track, and so um, I uh, I played football, and uh, I was accepted because of my size, and I had, I had some ability, um, and also uh, I threw the shot put and discus in track, and and had some success doing that. So uh, I never really got ridicule. I don't ever remember that in, in high school. I just remember they were being ridiculed from grade school. That really carried over. Um, and I would, I was, I became an expert in avoiding speak, speaking situations. And whenever I had to, in, in classes in high school, if I was pinpointed and I could not avoid it or couldn't get out of it, and I actually went through the emotions and made the statement or read the passage and stuttered. I expected ridicule and teasing, but I never got it in high school like that. It was just the mental torment to me, the embarrassment and the emotions uh, just and left, left some scars. You know, it's very hard. It's kind of difficult right now just to think about it and talk about it, but hey, I'm okay. I remember having an interest in something that we had clubs in school and certain days of the week. It would be something that toward the end of the day would be an hour devoted to some kind of elective thing. And so I remember they had a radio club and I was interested in electronics. And, and uh, so I went to the, I went to the club meeting and uh, the very first one. And so there was a good number of kids in there and that, um, all boys, the radio club and uh, electronics. And so um, they, the um, teacher um, advisor um, had a, some things, with some rules and regulations and all of that, but we needed to elect a president. And lo and behold, I was elected a president. I guess I was one of the only seniors in there. And I, you know, and just kind of, 
because of my athletic ability or whatever, I don't know, and was uh, somewhat popular, I guess. And so they elected me the president. And so the um, advisor, after, after the meeting, he called me, he called me in and asked me, he told me about this. And he said, here's what you'll have to do is every meeting, you lead the meeting and you go through these, whatever. And, and right away, I just, and I almost freaked out. I didn't, didn't know the word as terms back then, freaked out, but that's what I did. And I didn't, not, not to him directly, but I, I just went home and thought about that and worried about it and went in the next day and told him that I, I couldn't, I, I forgot the excuse, but I'm, I know it was a lie. I probably had a uh, schedule conflict or something, you know. Um, so anyway, got out of that. And, you know, that is something else in high school. I never, I never had a girlfriend in high school. I know a lot of my buddies did, you know, dating and going steady and doing all of that. Hell, I couldn't even make a phone call to a girl to ask, ask her for a date. I couldn't do that. Um, even now, I just, I guess I could have, but I chose not to because the fear of embarrassment and being ashamed and being a second-class citizen. In high school, I was active in sports, which became a motivator that propelled me to not give up. I had endured a lot of stress, resulting in rapid heartbeats, cold hands, and wet armpits in that period of anticipation that I would be called upon in class or given an assignment that required speaking. My athleticism reinforced for me to not give up, to try, and to maintain that hope to carry on. After years of forming a self-image, let's call it a not-so-positive self-image, something happened. I went to college. Leaving home and being on my own opened doors for me, and my life began to change. When I went to college, I knew they had a speech department. Turned out it was a pretty good one nationally for their coursework and therapy, their clank as well. And so I met with a professor and talked to him about that, and uh, he helped me enroll in, in the clank out of the client in, in the program. And it was an intensive program. And so I had had to work that in my schedule along with classes. And some of the some of the clinical things were in the evening. When it became time to, to choose a, a major in college, I um, had talked to the, the um, professor that got me enrolled in the clinic about that. And I said, can someone who stutters get a degree in speech therapy? <laughs> And he said, well, sure. And he, he told me there were a couple of professors on staff who stuttered. Yeah, they were, and they were professors in, in uh, speech therapy. I, and I think one is in audiology, which is related to speech therapy there. So anyway, um, that's how I got into becoming a speech therapist and our degree, got a degree in speech therapy. And the clinical program, one of the aspects or one of the things they did they brought in a psychologist. Everybody as a client met with the psychologist and it was not, you know, the sessions were, but it would just maybe be for like a month, you know, four or five sessions that you'd meet with a psychologist. And so I remember doing that as, uh, you know, and toward the end, and he said that 
they administered an IQ test. So I went through that. And then the following session, he told me he had the results. Doctor? Just who I was hoping to see. Uh, come in, Mr. Holbrook. Please have a seat. Is this about my test results? Yes, we should discuss them. What's to discuss? I'm retarded. We don't use that term. And no, you are definitely not retarded. Now, please. Just, just, just give me the bad news. We've done a lot of work on your disfluency these last few semesters. As you know, the exact cause of stuttering is unknown, but we've sought to help you adapt and function confidently in public. Yeah, right, and we haven't seen much progress. I disagree, but that's why I ordered the IQ test. Okay, well, how did I do? Look, you know that IQ tests aren't infallible. Many people have had quite successful lives without top results. I, 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 I failed. Didn't I? Uh, there's no failing an IQ test. Yeah, well, I'd be the first. Now hold on, let me finish. Officially, I can't tell you the results. But then, what's the point? But what I can tell you is that according to these results, let's just say you have the ability to become a nuclear physicist if you so choose. Wh- what? According to these results, you have the intelligence to do or be anything you want. The question is, what do you want to be? That meeting with the psychologist was a pivotal moment in my life. My self-confidence soared. Not to become a rocket scientist, but hearing those words from the psychologist pushed me farther along on a path of positive growth. After 20 years of life thinking I was an inferior person with a defect, and not capable of doing what most people do, I became hopeful and gained a lot of courage. Deep down, I just knew I could overcome my difficulty. I started putting myself into situations where I'd be forced to interact with more people. I took it upon myself to speak more. I would seek opportunities to speak, not to just, not like in class, you know, because the I had some horrible experiences in classrooms, and so it wasn't quite so much there, but just in other situations, like there was a, a Toastmasters club. I don't know if they still have those, where you go and just talk on impromptu things, and everybody is in there gives us some type of a speech, and I did that, and and, uh, and I, I got involved with theater, and. Uh, tried out for roles and had speaking roles in theater. And I was in, I, I was a musician already, so I had played with some groups and I was a singer, right? Servers don't stutter when they sing. It's kind of a phenomenal. And servers, I don't believe, I know, at least I didn't. When I was alone, anytime I was alone, I could say anything. I was by myself. And that's something else that I realized in that, where I thought about that so much that it, that carried over into me overcoming severe blockages and and uh, and stuttering too. But that takes maturity and it takes an emotional development, you know, mental and emotional development to get to that point. And I graduated from college. It was early. It was like graduation is usually in May. I graduated in January, and I remember 
starting up in the graduate school right away the next semester. And I was, I stayed with speech therapy and then I realized that I really, I didn't want to pursue that career because I found something else. Uh, I was spending so much time in the library and um, was always, as a kid, and fascinated by books and being in libraries, you know, being in the library. I mean, you know, I was at a big university and they, for example, they, they subscribed to 4,000 periodicals. I mean, that's like magazines and journals. I mean, it's huge. I mean, you know, it just boggles the mind, you know, thinking about that and seeing all that and being, being in there and, and reading and studying. And so I, I, I thought, gosh, I wonder what it would be like working in, in a library. So I went and met with the director of the library one day and, and, uh, and I met with some department heads and cataloging and, you know, these things like that. And I thought, would, would this be something I think I'd, I'd rather do? And so I pursued that and got a master's degree in library services. And then, so that led to, uh, I went to a national conference, went to a job placement service there, got offers. And so I took a job in San Diego as, as a librarian. And it, it was in a, a school, school district was in an elementary school and I was a librarian. And so I met with every class once a week, every class in the school. And, and I had my own activities, you know, curriculum. One of the things uh, is to promote literature to children. You know, the joy, the joy of reading and, you know, interviews books. One of the things I did primary grades had a story time every week. I remember those first few sessions, you know, I was able to get through all the initial things and setting up for the school year, you know, the staff meetings and everything. Nobody knew I had a speech problem, stuttered, you know. I got to the sessions with the kids. I remember the first few classes that came in, the teachers would, would drop the class off and then I would have the classes in there by myself. And so uh, when it was time to, to read a story, mentally, I would, I would think this is going to be a challenge. Hell, thank goodness you're here. I'm the librarian. Where else would I be? How can I help you? Miss Alvarez is out today, and there's no one to read to the kindergartners. I'm sorry. No. You must. They've been looking forward to story hour all week. You can't disappoint them. I'm afraid I will. Why can't you do it? I have a meeting with the principal in 10 minutes. Please. Fine. I'll, I'll try, but don't say I didn't warn you. Wonderful. Here's the book. Oh my God. You gotta be kidding me. What is it? Nothing. It's, it, it's an old nemesis. All right, children, take your seats. Mr. Holbrook is going to read to you from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland by Lewis Carroll. Let's begin. How did doth the l little crocodile improve his shining tail and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale? How cheerfully he seems to grin. How that was really the moment that I turned the corner and no longer let the fear control me. 
I was able to read and speak to the children for many years in my role as a school librarian. And that confidence led me to being able to read and speak to adults soon after. All the positive effects, you know, working with children helped help, help me and helped me change my perspective in a big way. Even though I became fluent verbally, you know, and still consider myself a stutterer, that feeling would never go away. And I still faced the fear of that happening. But when it's time to talk, that fear goes away. The cause of stuttering is unknown. There is no cure. It affects thousands of people from all walks of life, even professionals and celebrities. Each case is its own. There are similarities to all cases, but the cause and dealing with it is personal to the suffering individual. To accomplish freedom from stuttering requires an internal change. Mental and emotional maturity and attitudes need to be addressed. It takes time, but maintaining hope, courage, and to keep going forward no matter what happens is the key. Today, I no longer stutter when I speak. It's been a long road to get here, but I did it. I had a successful teaching career. I've been married for 46 years to a lovely wife. We have two children and two grandchildren. And life is good. That fear has never gone away. I don't think it ever will. But my mind just gets past it. And um, I have tons of friends. Most of my friends these days never knew that I stuttered. I'm a stutterer, but I don't stutter anymore. And uh, I won't be quiet. Hope Lives Here is a production of Voyage Media. The series is produced by Nat Mundell, Robert Midas, and Dan Benamore. This episode, Speechless, was written and directed by Michael Shamoy. Al Holbrook, subject of this episode, has written a children's book, The King Who Wanted a Whale, which is available on Amazon. A link is in the show notes. Starring Mark Feuerstein as Hal, Additional cast credits available in the show notes. Edited by Jackson McLennan. Original music by Darlis Gonzalez. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening. And subscribe now for future episodes.